0: <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we begin with suspense theater, and a show that aired in 1943. Now, Suspense was a radio drama series broadcast on CBS from 1940 through to 1962. Quite a long stretch. One of the premier drama programs of the golden age of radio was subtitled Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills and focused on suspense thriller-type scripts usually featuring leading Hollywood actors of the era. Suspense went through several major phases, characterized by different hosts, sponsors, and director-producers. Formula plot devices were followed for all but a handful of episodes. The protagonist was usually a normal person, suddenly dropped into a threatening or bizarre situation. Solutions were withheld until the last possible second, and evildoers were usually punished in the end. In its early years, the program made only occasional forays, into science fiction and fantasy. In the earliest years, the program was hosted by The Man in Black, played by Joseph Kearns or Ted Osborne, with many episodes written or adapted by the prominent mystery author John Dixon Carr. And after the network sustained the program during the first two years, the sponsor became Roma Wines from 44 to 47. And then after another brief period of sustained hour-long episodes, initially featuring Robert Montgomery as host and producer in early 1948. *A Suspense, by the way, received a special Citation of Honor Peaberry Award for 1946. And the program's uh, heyday, really, was in the early 50s, when radio actor, producer, and director Elliot Lewis took over. And uh, the, here the material changed new levels and reach new levels of sophistication. Right now, we're going to go back to 1943 for the episode Murder Goes for a Swim.
2: Suspense! The Man in Black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Heading our Star Hollywood cast tonight is Mr. Warren William, and with him is Mr. Eric Blore. No fewer than nine times have these two gentlemen appeared together in screen thrillers based on the adventures of one of the most celebrated characters of modern crime fiction. This familiar character will speak to you now for the first time on the air, as with the story called Murder Goes for a Swim, and the performances of Warren William as Michael Lanyard... and Eric Blore as Jameson. We again hope to keep you in... Suspense.
3: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Allow me to introduce myself. Nowadays, meeting me on the street, you'd most likely recognize me... as Michael Lanyard, an author of sorts. But... If you will not be too free with the information, because I've been at some pains to allow bygones to be bygones, I was once known rather well by quite a different name. And there are still times when I find myself obliged, or should I say forced, to return to that character, to resort to the somewhat questionable talents of the lone wolf. <laughs> As a matter of fact, my presence here this evening is prompted by an uncontrollable desire to reminisce a little. Eh, Jameson? Oh, quite right, Mr. Lanyard. And if you'll pardon the gentleman's gentleman
4: for saying so, sir, playing nip and tuck with the police, meeting lovely ladies, you pilfering an occasional gem, I living, so to speak, from hand to pocket. (laughs) Ha-ha! Those were the days, sir. (laughs) Yes, those were the days. Absconding at of times perhaps a touch of embezzlement
3: here and there. Now, now, hold on, Jameson. If we're going to reminisce in public, I suggest we confine our recollections to our later period, when the lone wolf had become a gentleman of leisure and used his talents in the interests of law and order. In that case, sir,
4: I suggest you relate the episode of our little experience at that horrible party we attended at that
3: Long Island estate. Remember, sir? Of course, Jameson, the Rutherford Barnes estate. If I remember correctly, the occasion was some sort of charity bazaar. We were invited uh, for the weekend. The phone rang just as we were about to leave the apartment.
5: Mr. Lanyard, this is Betty Lawson. You've never heard of me before, but I know you've been invited to spend the weekend with Mr. Rutherford Barnes. Please, you must accept the invitation. Come down immediately, right now. It's just a little after two o'clock. And if you're not too late, the lone wolf may be able to prevent a murder.
3: Jameson and I arrived at the Barnes Estate a bare two hours after we'd received the mysterious telephone message. I was introduced to all kinds of people. First, the famous gossip columnist, Ralph
6: Clinton. Well, Mr. Lanyard, this is indeed a surprise. And I might say a pleasant addition to our little gathering. Something always happens when you're lone wolfing around. Oh, I know, I know, you've reformed. But a fellow can hope for a little excitement, can't he? See you later, old man. <laughs>
3: Then I met a very, very beautiful young lady.
5: Oh, Mr. Lanyard, we haven't met yet. I'm Cynthia Waring. I've read all your stories and admired the ingenious way you solve those baffling mysteries. I think you're wonderful.
3: And, of course, there was our host himself, Mr. Rutherford Barnes, who had recently announced his engagement to Miss Waring. I believe you've met just about everyone, Lanyard. That is, everyone except Bill Hodges. He's the firebrand of our little congregation... He's probably wandering around, walking off the effects of the last ten cocktails. Just make yourself comfortable. Strangely enough, I failed to meet a Miss Betty Larson, the frightened young lady who had phoned. Anyway, the afternoon wore on through the beauty contest at which I was elected to preside as judge, and at which Miss Cynthia Waring, looking very pretty in a big picture hat and hoop skirt, was the winner. After it was over, Jameson and I managed to break away from the rest of the guests, and to escape the heat of the afternoon, we prepared ourselves for a cooling dip in the pool.
4: I say, Mr. Lanyard, we've been to some pretty big and fancy places in our day, but this one is really something. This Rutherford Barnes person must be... Really
3: an important person. You're quite right, Jameson. Rutherford Barnes is listed in Who's Who as the gentleman who made a fortune out of sardines. (laughs) Just think, an entire estate built of sardines. Uncanny, isn't it, Oh, Jameson. (laughs) Forgive me, sir. No
4: more puns, I promise. Well, I should hope so. I say, this pool is constructed just like a miniature lake lilies and all that sort of thing
3: floating on top. Quite naturally, if you're going down for the third time, you just take a lily with you.
4: Oh, what a jolly thought. (laughs) Well, here goes. Watch this beautiful swan dive. (laughs) I say, this is most unusual. It's a sort of a Sort of a mermaid lying on the bottom of the pool. And she's very pretty, sir. (laughs)
3: Last night it was a (laughs) firemaid, today it's a mermaid. (laughs) But but really, sir? (laughs) Well, I'm the judge in the beauty contest. I'd better go down and have a look.
4: Don't be away too long, sir. Remember, there are lots of warmer women in the world. Uh, uh, Jameson, quick... Here, give me a hand. Good heavens. It's a girl. Quick here, lift her out of here. Hurry! I'm doing I'm doing my best. I'll get up there and, uh, 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 here uh, now, let's uh, uh, let's put her down uh, here. Uh, hold, her, hold her there, oh,
3: sir. Jameson, I uh, uh, I'm afraid uh, she's dead. Uh, what well, what do you make of it, sir? What was it an accident? Well, I don't know. There's uh, there's a pretty nasty bump on the side of her head. Or well, perhaps she slipped and, and hit her head as she fell. Perhaps? But but her bathing suit, not quite the style you'd put on to take a swim. Possibly she was in the beauty contest. Of course, that's it. (sighs) The uh, program listed, listed ten contestants, yet only nine girls competed. Meaning what, Mr. Lanyard? Meaning, Jameson, that this poor kid was the tenth contestant. And if my hunch is correct, her name is Betty Larson. The girl with the telephone message? Precisely. And if her call was on the level... We did arrive too late, and she was murdered.
5: Mr. Lanyard! Mr. Lanyard!
3: It's Mr. Barnes and Miss Waring. Take off your robe and cover up the body, Jameson. Yes, sir. Well, Lanyard, we've been looking all over for you, haven't we, Cynthia, dear? Yes,
5: of course. And I'm glad we found you, Mr. Lanyard. I've been wanting to thank you for awarding me the prize in the beauty contest this afternoon. I really didn't think that... (gasps) Mr. Lanyard! There, at the edge of the pool.
3: Yes, it's a girl, and I'm afraid she's drowned.
5: Drowned? Oh, how horrible.
3: Oh, but how did it happen? Who is she? I think she's Betty Larson. What do you think, Mr. Barnes? Here, look.
7: (gasps) Oh, Oh, good heavens.
3: Yes. Yes, that is Betty Larson. I had no idea. Then you do know the girl, Mr. Barnes. Why, yes. As a matter of fact, Only recently I recommended her for a job. She's the local telephone operator.
5: And the village beauty. Mr. Barnes and Miss Larson were childhood sweethearts.
3: Uh, Mr. Barnes, tell me, do you know any, uh, do any of the other guests know this girl? Ralph Clinton, for instance. Could our famous uh, columnist have possibly known Miss Larson? Well,. If not in person, most certainly by telephone. You see, for the last few weeks, Miss Larson handled my personal calls. I see. Did she ever mention the fact that there might be a murder? Murder? Well, you see, I received rather strange message. Now look here, Lanyard. If you're insinuating that Miss Larson was murdered, you're all wrong. It's perfectly obvious. She slipped and fell into the deep end of the pool. She can't swim. We couldn't hear her cry for help over the noise of the party, so the poor girl drowned. As simple as that, huh? Why, of course. And I'd appreciate it if you'd be kind enough not to mention this accident to any of the other guests. There's no need to disrupt the entire weekend. I'll notify the sheriff and call the coroner, and they'll take care of everything. I think it might be a good idea, Mr. Lanyard, since you seem so certain that a murder's been committed, that you and your man remain on the premises. Our famous lone wolf may have a little explaining of his own to do. Come along, Cynthia.
4: at sea, Mr. Lanyard. The sheriff seems to think the whole thing was an accident. But this Miss Betty Larson person dived into the pool, and that's how she hit her head. I doubt that,
3: Jameson. According to Barnes, the girl couldn't
4: swim. Hey, buddy. Oh, I think we have company. What? Hey, yeah?
8: Did you see Mr. Barnes around, I want to see him.
4: I think he's over at the other side of the house, getting things ready for the bazaar.
8: Bazaar. They don't care how they celebrate a murder, do they? If I'm not mistaken, you're Mr. Bill Hodges, eh? Yeah. Betty Larson and I were going to get married. Everything was great until she starts going around with this society bunch. I got a few things to settle with that society crowd. Especially that keyhole peeper, Ralph Clinton. You seem quite positive, Hodges, that your girl was murdered. Well, I... What do you think it was, an accident? That girl could swim like a fish. Nothing could happen to her in the water. Yeah, but Bon says she couldn't swim a stroke. I said she could swim like a fish. But
4: Bon says... Did you hear me, you little runt? <clears throat> Amazing how that girl could
3: swim. Uh, look here, Hodges. What makes you think Ralph Clinton had anything to do with this? Do you know you're practically accusing him of murder? Listen, Betty stood me up twice last week. I followed her in my
8: car and she met Clinton both times. He was going to put her in this contest. And she was a cinch to win. He promised her. Then look what happens to her. She's dead.
3: Murdered, I tell you. Well, here comes Clinton now. Maybe you'd better tell him about it. Oh, there you are, Hodges. I understand you've been looking for me. Yeah, I have. And now I'm going to fix that pretty
9: face of yours. Yeah, well, wait a second. Here, you can't do that. Here, Jefferson, help me break this up. I will as
4: soon as they stop punching. Me. Hey, don't e-
9: fool, Hodges. Stop it. Stop it, I say.
8: All right. All right, let go of me. Let go. Oh,
6: oh thanks, Mr. Lanyard.
8: This man's a maniac. Okay. But I'm warning you, Clinton. I'll see you again when you ain't got your friends around.
6: Personally, I, I don't know whether the girl was killed or not, but if she was, our friend there, Hodges, will have a lot of explaining to do.
3: You mean you've got something on him, Mr. Clinton?
6: Well, when I was discussing the contest with Betty Larson a few days ago, she told me that Hodges had warned her not to enter it. It seems he was afraid that if she won, it might go to her head and she'd walk out on him. As a matter of fact, he told her to stay away from here.
3: Well, there's going to be a coroner's inquest in the morning, and I suggest that you tell this to the sheriff as soon as he re- returns. Oh, why, uh. Tell that to the sheriff? Oh, oh, no,
6: no. I, I'd rather hate to do that. You. You see, Lanyard, someone in my position, I, uh. I can't afford to get involved. After all, it's, uh, my business to report scandal and, uh. not get mixed up in it. But look here, you. Oh, uh, tell you what. Uh, uh, give me a chance to, uh. think it over and, uh. I'll uh, I'll see you at the treasure hunt tonight.
4: Oh, dear. Two in the morning, Mr. Lanyard. What a
3: ghastly
4: hour to go tramping over the ground... Must we participate in this treasure
3: hunt? Of course, it's all a part of the weekend. Come in.
6: Well, it's the you hour, Mr. Lanyard. Here's your envelope with the clues for the treasure hunt. You'd better hurry. Everybody's ahead of you. Thank you, Mr. Clinton. We'll catch up. Fine. This ought to be very interesting, seeing the lone wolf stalking down his prey. You know very well, Clinton. Oh, Lanyard. sure. I forgot. You're not the lone wolf anymore. <laughs> You're just nice, innocent Mr. Lanyard. Well, good hunting. See you later.
3: Well, here you are, Jameson. This is our clue. Go ahead, read it.
4: Under the oak and under the cover, where have met many a lover, light a match and look deep down, find your clue and win your crown. I say, isn't that lovely? Can you decipher it? Oh, of course, sir. It means, uh, uh...
3: Well, it means, uh. Well. Uh... Exactly, Jameson, the old well. That's where we'll find the next clue. Come on, let's get going. The well is down this path, it's right near the stables. Oh, you
4: mean when we get to the well, we find another clue? That's right, and at the end
3: is when we reach the treasure.
4: Oh, the treasure. I say, what is this treasure? So
3: Jameson, it's unimportant what the treasure is. It might be a bag of jelly beans.
4: It all sounds very silly to me, sir. There's the well over there. And look here. It's got a, got a wooden cover on it, exactly like it said on the poem.
3: Well, what do we do now? Uh, now, wait a minute. Um, oh, yes, under the cover. Light a match and look deep down. Here, I'll uh, I'll take this lid off um, and, and put it here. Now, uh, you light a match, right, sir. Our second clue must be somewhere inside the well. Right here, just a moment. Ah, there's the clue we're looking for. A piece of paper pinned on the wall inside the
4: well with a big pin. Oh, dash it all. Match went out. I'll light another one.
3: Oh, Jamison, hold it. Hold it. The inside of this well smells like gasoline. Yes, it does.
4: Yes, it does smell like it's full
9: a... of. A... Get away, Jameson. Blow that match up. Uh,
4: are you all right, Mr. Lanyard? Yes, and no thanks to you. Oh, I couldn't help it, sir. If you ask me, we walked right into a trap.
3: And quite obviously. Here, oh. let me help you up.
4: Oh, thank you, sir. Oh, if I'd had any idea... Ouch!
3: Well, now what's the matter?
4: Oh, I've, I've been stabbed. Well, let me see.
3: Oh! Steady, Jameson. I'll pull it out.
4: Oh, be careful, sir. Oh.
3: Oh. Ah. Oh! There we are. And very interesting. What is it, sir? Oh, it's that big pin... You could have been hurt quite badly. Well, if you ask me... Uh... Uh, come along, Jameson. Uh, we've got work to do.
7: And another thing, Mr.
4: Barnes, we don't mind playing this little treasure hunt game of yours, but it's no fun when the prize is two bodies... Especially if they happen to be our two bodies.
5: Surely it was only an accident.
4: I
3: wish I could believe that, Miss Waring.
5: But there's no rhyme or reason for what's been happening. If the accident at the well was another attempt at murder, then... Well, then... Then all our lives could be in danger.
3: Steady, Cynthia, darling. I presume you have some idea of who the murderer might be, Mr. Lanyard. <laughs> you flatter me, Mr. Barnes. I
5: would think you had surely lined
4: up one or two likely suspects, Mister Lone Wolf. Why don't you tell them about our friend, Mr. Clinton,
3: sir? Clinton? Well, oh, well, there are some mighty interesting aspects to that road company Winchell. He was meeting Betty Larson secretly. At least that's what Hodges says. I can believe that. Clinton would stoop to anything. I didn't want to have him around, but Cynthia felt that we should cater to him for the sake of publicity for the bazaar. Uh, Hodges also insists that Clinton arranged for Miss Larson to enter the beauty contest, and that Clinton promised her that she would win. And uh, there's the little incident at the well. If you ask me, Clinton is in this thing right up
4: to his, uh, his clues. Help!
5: Mr. Barnes! Oh. Somebody come out here! Hurry! That sounds like Hodges.
4: He's it? right out there at the side of the house. Well, come on. We can go through these French windows.
5: Here,
8: in the bushes, you've better hurry. What is it, Hodges? What's wrong? I don't know. Don't ask me. I don't know anything about it. Great heavens, look at Clinton.
5: Oh, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. What awful things are going on. Oh, I, I don't know how it happened. I was I just coming down the path.
4: There in the bushes, he was lying He's right there. He's done away. for all right, Mr. Lanyard. Shot. Murdered. Murdered?
3: You did this, Hodges. You said you'd get even with Clinton. Now you've
4: done it. I tell you, I don't know
3: anything about it. I was just walking down along the path. I don't know anything about but it. It's all right, Hodges. You'll have an opportunity to prove your innocence. Don't you
5: have some theory about all this, Mr. Lush? <laughs> and this.
7: <Mr>.
3: There, <laughs> there, Miss Waring. I think I can promise you at least that there won't be any more murders. <laughs> Hold the flashlight a little higher, Jameson, on the clock on the mantelpiece.
4: Yes, sir. Just as you say, sir. But aren't we taking a bit of a risk, Mr. Lanyard? Leaving the estate without checking with the sheriff? Shh,
3: quiet, Jameson. If I don't find what I'm looking for here in Clinton's apartment, I'm afraid we'll have a lot of explaining to do. I just as soon we didn't go back. There's been two murders already, and they say things come in threes. Hmm, how interesting. Uh, Jameson, why do you think I've got you flashing the light on that clock on the mantelpiece?
4: Well, sir, well, I'm a bit rusty. I, I think it might be
3: safe to say. Which, well, it would be safe. Exactly, Jameson. You never fail the safe behind the clock on the mantelpiece.
4: I say, I was right. Ingenious, eh,
3: Miss Lennon? Uh, you have your moments. Well, it's a long time since I've operated in this fashion, but uh, we'll see, Jameson.
4: If you don't mind, sir, this is like old times. I do mind, Jameson, but unfortunately, certain situations are born of necessity. Then allow me to compliment you, sir. You haven't lost the old touch. No, I'm not so sure. Ah, there we are. Uh, Not much of a haul, if you ask me. Nothing but a stack of letters and a notebook. Let's have a look. All that trouble, just for a bundle of papers. Just a waste of good time and talent. There could have been a pound of butter, or a gas coupon, or a back axle. or. ha! I say, what's so interesting? Just the... Did you find a clue to the murders? Just the motive,
3: Jameson, just the motive. (laughs)
9: Look here, you can't keep me here, Sheriff. All I did was find Clinton. You can't hang a guy for that. Keep your shirt on, Hodges. Nobody moves out of this room till Lanyard shows up. If he doesn't come in five minutes, I'm going to put out a call and have him pulled in.
5: Seems to me that Mr. Lanyard has admitted his guilt by disappearing.
9: Well, whatever the case may be, I think you should allow me to go. After all, this is my house, and I
3: do have guests. They might think it rather strange if their host isn't around.
9: Look, Mr. Barnes, party or no party. There's been a couple of murders committed around this joint. And everybody in this room is under suspicion.
5: Really, Sheriff? If you're going to keep us here and allow Mr. Lanyard to stick. Stay...
9: Good evening, Sheriff. Jameson, say good evening to the Sheriff. He's been very patient, I hope. Good evening, sir. I mean constable. I mean Sheriff. All right, you two. You'd better make it good. Running away from the scene of the crime won't sit so well in court. Please accept my apologies, Sheriff. Well, now that you're here, Mr. Lanyard, perhaps we can clear up this nasty mess. Yes.
5: I presume you've been spending your time checking up on the murders, Mr.
3: Lanyard. That's right. And I've uncovered a few details which uh, I'm sure will prove most interesting, Miss Waring.
9: You're wasting time, Lanyard. Somebody in this room has been running around committing murders. And I'm going to find out who it is or die trying. Or die trying. Who said that?
4: Oh, if it's all the same to you, Sheriff, I think I'll join the other guests.
9: Now, isn't that thoughtful of you? Get away from that door before you tempt me to bring the murder score up to three.
3: Do as he says, Jameson. After all, you don't want to miss all the fun. In just a minute, you're going to have the pleasure of meeting the murderer.
4: Yes, that's just what I'm afraid of,
3: sir. All right, Lanyard. Let's have it. Very well, Sheriff. First, allow me to review events from the beginning. Just as Jameson and I were leaving for Mr. Barnes's residence, we received a rather unusual telephone message. It was Betty Larson. That was about 2 p.m., wouldn't you say, Jameson? <clears throat> Five minutes after 2, to be exact, sir. Thank you. We arrived at Mr. Barnes's estate by 3.30. At 5, Jameson and I went for a swim in the pool. It was then we found Miss Larson. At what time did the coroner examine her, Sheriff?
9: I, uh, around 7 in the evening. But what difference does it make? The poor girl had been dead for 10 hours.
3: All the difference in the world, my dear fellow. Simple arithmetic will show you that it was impossible for Miss Larson to call me at 2 o'clock. At two o'clock, she'd already been dead for five hours.
9: Hodges, you did it.
3: You paid someone to make that call. You're crazy. I had nothing to do with it. Pipe down, Hodges. Go on, Lanyard. Sheriff, uh, what do you think was used to murder Miss Larson? Well, I... Could this have been the weapon? The pin. The pin, the one I fell on when the well exploded. Yes, Jameson. Let me paint a rather gruesome picture for you, Sheriff. Miss Larson is called down to the edge of the swimming pool. Someone who poses as a friend suggests that she try on a hat. In trying it on, our murderer, pretending to assist, neatly jabs Miss Larson and thrusts the pin through the base of her
9: brain. Oh,
3: how horrible. Uh, could I examine the pin, please? Why, well, of course, Mr. Barnes. What? Why, well, it's a hat pin. Well, Cynthia, it's the one you had in the large hat you wore in that beauty contest. Cynthia,
5: it was you. All right, stand back, all of you.
9: Look here, sister, you can't get away with
3: this.
5: Shut up and listen, all of you. I assure you, I know how to handle this gun, and I'm not afraid to use
9: it. Cynthia, stand
5: back, I, uh,
8: I don't get you, Cynthia. What earthly reason would you have for killing Betty? She wanted to be your
5: friend. <laughs> That's a laugh. Listen, little boy Blue. A telephone operator sometimes hears too much for her own good. How do you think she got all those fine furs from some boyfriend? No, she was too daffy about you, so she decided to try her hand at blackmail. Blackmail. That's right. Only she pushed me just a bit too far. Why Step you? Get back, all of you. You, prune face. Who? Who, me? I don't mean your brother. Open the door. Go on, open it.
4: Yes, yes, ma'am.
5: Now stand back, all of you. Ha! Very amusing picture. That's right, Mr. Lanyard. Step forward just a little. I'd like to thank you for spoiling a most delightful weekend. You're the
9: little something you remember me by! Jameson! Jameson, uh, are you all right?
4: Yes, uh, I, I think so, sir.
9: Oh, thank heaven. Yeah, you did a good job, Jameson. You not only saved Mr. Lanyard from getting shot, but when you fell against this door, you also managed to not miss wearing colder than a doornail.
4: Oh, it was nothing, really?
9: And as for you, sister, maybe these bracelets will keep you out of trouble. Because when you come to, you're going to find yourself booked for murder.
3: Double murder, Sheriff. Dig the bullet out of the wall over there, and you'll find it will match the one found in Clinton's body.
9: Well, what do you know? Come on, Hodges, give me a hand. Okay, Sheriff.
3: I can't believe it. Why, Cynthia and I had so many plans together. It's hard to believe that, that she could be responsible for those horrible murders. I'm afraid she was. Mr. Barnes, this is Mr. Clinton's notebook. Several canceled checks and a few letters. Look them over, and you'll discover that your dream girl, Miss Cynthia Waring, has quite a number of aliases, and in certain circles has a reputation for landing the biggest fish in the pool. Then, after she's collected enough money, she tosses them back. You were her next victim, Mr. Barnes. And, as for the unfortunate Mr. Clinton, being a newspaper man and gossip columnist, he ferreted out her little scheme and, in turn, was blackmailing Miss Waring. (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, I guess that just about puts the cap on that story of our little adventure at the estate of Rutherford Barnes. Miss uh, Cynthia Waring was a very shrewd and fast-thinking young lady. She got one victim with a gun. She almost got Jameson and me at the old well when the gasoline exploded, all of which began with the first and most ingenious of the murders, the particularly cold-blooded murder of Betty Larson with that hat pin. And, um, Jameson, of course, we have you to thank for having discovered that most important bit of evidence, the uh, pin itself.
4: (laughs) Yes, Miss Lanyard. (laughs) And I must say, I got quite a lift
3: out of that myself when I discovered it. Uh, Now, now, (laughs) Jameson, remember your promise. Uh, Suffice it to say, you discovered the pin. The hard way, I admit.
4: Oh, yes, sir. There's no doubt about that. The criminal would never have been tuck in the final analysis if i hadn't sat down and got myself stuck that will the... be
7: uh, that
3: will be all jameson good night ladies and gentlemen <laughs>
2: And so closes Murder Goes for a Swim, starring Warren William with Eric Blore. The first appearance of The Lone Wolf on the air, and tonight's tale of Suspense. This is your narrator, the man in black, who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next week when Laird Kriegar will star in the suspense play, The Last Letter of Dr. Bronson, with a cast of four distinguished Hollywood players, Helen Vinson, Harold Huber, Ian Wolf, and Theodore von Els. The producer of these broadcasts is William Spear, who with Robert Louis Shea on the guest director... Bernard Herman and Lucianne Marowick, conductor and composer, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. <laughs>
1: tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to check into Madison High to see what the gang's up to tonight. The episode has the intriguing title, Rare Black Orchid.
10: Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. (laughs) It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, this is National Pickle Week. And among others who celebrated the occasion was Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School.
11: I celebrated National Pickle Week, all right, by getting myself into the prettiest pickle you've ever seen. It all started innocently enough when my
12: landlady and I sat down to breakfast last Thursday morning. There's your cereal, Connie. Now, tell me, dear, have you made any plans for your vacation next month? Nothing definite, Mrs. Davis. Perhaps it's just as well not to plan too far in advance. Who knows what summer may bring? You might even elope. Have you ever thought of that, Connie? Many times, Mrs. Davis. I'd do it in a minute, too. If it weren't
11: for a stubborn little streak in me, which keeps insisting that it's no fun to elope by yourself.
12: (laughs) Oh, I I didn't mean by yourself, Connie. What's wrong with Mr. Boynton? For submitting the Outstanding Question of the Week, we are sending Mrs.
11: Margaret Davis a lifetime supply of Dutch boy paint. (laughs) I wish I knew what was wrong with Mr. Boynton. All he talks about lately is his impending
12: vacation in South America. South America? What a wonderful idea. And it simplifies everything. It does? Of course. If Mr. Boynton is going to South America, that's where you have to go.
11: The thought has occurred to me, Mrs. Davis, but there's one thing that stands in the way transportation. Transportation? Yes, one of my
12: water wings has a blowout. <laughs> don't be discouraged by your present financial state, Connie. I'll go make some tea and read your tea leaves in a little while. Maybe there'll be some good news in your cup. Why, at this very moment, Lady Luck may be camping on your doorstep. Well,
11: don't sit there, lady. Come on in. <laughs>
12: Most gracious and scintillating
7: educator
11: (laughs) Thank you, most generous and observant pupil Sit down, Walter, and have some toast and jelly Oh, thanks What kind of a plant is that
13: you're holding? It's a rare black orchid, Miss Brooks Here
11: An orchid? Must have cost you quite a bit of money, Walter
13: Pish, tush The blossom cost me nothing (laughs) Besides, this is no time to concern ourselves With petty monetary considerations I'm going to be rich, Miss Brooks Wealthy beyond all dreams of avarice. The fabulous treasures of the universe are within my grasp. Hey, buddy, could you spare a round-trip ticket to South America? (laughs) No, I'm serious, Miss Brooks. I've discovered uranium. Uranium? Where? On my shoe. (laughs) (laughs) Who's your boot black? (laughs) It's no joke, Miss Brooks. I made the discovery in the chem lab. We got a brand new Geiger counter, and it's... By the way, have you ever used a Geiger counter?
11: I haven't had to, Walter. Very few of my pupils are named Geiger.
7: (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm afraid you
13: don't understand. A Geiger counter is an instrument that measures the number and intensity of emanations from radioactive substances.
11: Sounds terribly
13: talented. But how did you get mixed up with it? Well, I climbed on a desk to fix a light bulb, and my shoe got near the Geiger counter. You should have heard it. It almost blew its top. That means uranium's on my shoe. Now, the way I figure it, all I've got to do is retrace my steps of the past few days. Wouldn't it be easier to just start mining your shoe? (laughs) (laughs) Please, Miss Brooks. No, you've got to help me. You see, the counter is school property and can't be removed from the building without Mr. Conklin's permission. If a teacher were to ask him... Oh, not
11: me, Walter.
13: I'd like to assist you in this project,
11: but now is the wrong time. Tuesday, I knocked a bowl of soup into his lap in the cafeteria, and last week, I dropped a typewriter on his foot. Oh. Say, it's almost 8.15. i better park this orchid in the icebox and get ready to leave. Have a glass of milk, Walter. I'll just be a minute. Okay, Miss Brooks.
12: Oh, it's you, Connie. The tea is almost ready. I'm afraid I won't have time for the reading, Mrs. Davis. I just want to put this in the icebox. My, what a lovely stalk of asparagus. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let Walter Denton hear you say that. This happens to be a black orchid. Oh, but you shouldn't put that in the icebox, Connie. It won't do anybody any good there. Why don't you take it down to school with you and give it to Mr. Conklin? Mr. Conklin? Yes. You told me yourself you've been naughty lately. Maybe this little gift would make up for your recent habit of (laughs) dropping things on him. Say, it might at that. Although I wouldn't want Walter to find out that I gave away his present. Walter wouldn't mind. Besides, he won't know anything about it. I'll just put the flower into this box that the clean laundry came in, tie it with this red ribbon, and presto, you've got a peace offering for your principal. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. I'm sure nothing could make him happier, unless I was tied up in the
7: box.
13: (laughs) Gosh, Miss Brooks, we should reconsider my proposition about that Geiger counter. If you'll just get us permission to use it, I'll make you a 50-50 partner in whatever we find. It's a more than
11: liberal offer, Walter, but I'm afraid I can't take advantage of it. Right now, I'm trying to figure a good method of stowing away to South America.
13: Well, all right, Miss Brooks, but I hate the thought of passing up a possible bonus of $10,000 offered for discoveries of uranium. I know, Walter, and I can't say
11: that it's altogether impossible, but
13: as far as the immediate future's concerned, did you say $10,000? <laughs> That's right. And if it's a big field, we might even get ten times that much. Open the throttle, Casey, and point me at Mr. Conklin's
11: office.
5: Well, I finished straightening up your office, Daddy.
14: Thanks, Harriet. Run along, child.
5: Isn't there anything else I can do?
14: You can leave me alone. I'll get to your first class.
5: Daddy, you're irritated this morning.
14: Harriet, you're another Ellery Queen. It so happens that some vandal broke into my garden, trampled my flowerbeds, and stole a rare black orchid. I didn't
7: know that.
14: I just found out about it myself. I've been nursing that plant along for seven years. I was planning to give that orchid to your dear mother. It's her birthday today, you know. Yes, I know. Now I'll probably have to buy a present for the old... It's a hard gift. <laughs> if I ever get my hands on the scoundrel who Enter.
11: Good
5: morning, Mr. Conklin.
14: Oh, it's you.
5: Hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Harriet. I was just leaving the office, Miss Brooks. Try and cheer Daddy up a bit, will you? He's rather low this morning. I'll see you at
13: lunch, Daddy. Bye. Goodbye. Well, Mr. Conklin,
5: isn't this
11: a bright and cheerful morning?
14: Be brief, Miss Brooks. What brings you to my office?
11: I just came in to leave this little gift. Gift? Yes, sir. May I put it on your desk?
14: If you think you can do so without knocking the typewriter off on my foot again. (laughs) What else?
11: Mr. Conklin, I should like your permission to borrow the Geiger counter from the chem lab. Geiger counter? I believe that's what it's called. It's used to indicate the presence of uranium.
14: Miss Brooks. Are you planning to pelt me with an A bomb?
7: <laughs> Certainly
11: not, Mr. Conklin. I couldn't even lift an A bomb. But I've heard that there's quite a reward for discovering new uranium deposits, and I thought. Maybe kindly
14: I could... leave the premises.
11: But, Mr. Conklin, I, I.
14: I am in no mood to discuss this nonsensical project at this moment. I've had a most difficult morning. Nay, a shocking morning.
11: What happened, Mr. Conklin?
14: I don't know how versed you are in things botanical, Miss Brooks.
11: Oh, I'm pretty
7: versed. Mm. <laughs>
14: Several years ago, I purchased a rare plant. For the first few years, it failed to bloom. I tried everything. Finally, I ceased to rely on the hit-or-miss methods of plant propagation employed by a bunch of buzzing bees, and I pollinated that plant personally.
7: LAUGHTER do
14: you realize what that entailed?
11: Of course, you had to smear your feet with honey and jump from petal to petal.
7: <laughs> no, Miss
14: Brooks. But there are other back breaking procedures which I pursued faithfully for seven long years. Until finally my efforts bore fruit.
11: You became the father of a lemon tree.
7: <laughs>
14: Wrong again. An orchid plant. A black orchid plant. Just yesterday, it started to bloom, and I said to myself, you're a lucky man, Osgood. Tomorrow, this lovely flower will blossom just in time for your wife Martha's birthday. And then do you know what happened this morning?
11: Yes. I mean, no.
14: Some vandal stole it.
11: Well, I guess i better be running along. Miss
14: Brooks, where are you taking that box? I thought you said it was a gift.
11: Oh, it is a gift, Mr. Conklin. But not for you. That is not actually. It's for Mrs. Conklin. Her birthday, you know. Just a little remembrance. Well,
14: you can leave it here. I'll take it to her after school. I'd like to see what it is before I. Oh, take no.
11: It. I, uh, I'd rather you didn't see it, Mr. Conklin. That is, well, it's uh, underwear. <laughs> That's all right. We
14: share a dresser, you know. <laughs> Put it down and get to your classroom. But,
7: Mr. Dismissed. <laughs> oh,
14: uh, one thing before you go. If you should happen to hear any of the students or faculty, for that matter, discussing a black orchid, would you please make a confidential note of the party's name?
11: Confidential. I won't even read it to myself. <laughs> Well, my morning classes passed without any undue noise from the principal's office, so I assumed that Mr. Conklin hadn't found time to open the box containing his own black orchid, so thoughtfully provided for me by Walter Denton. When lunch period arrived, I hurried to the biology laboratory to let Mr. Boynton in on the ground floor of my predicament. Busy, Mr. Boynton?
15: Not at all, Miss Brooks. Come on in.
11: Uh, Before we go to lunch, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. It's really silly, I guess, but I was rather embarrassed this morning. Embarrassed? It all started when Walter Denton came to pick me up and told me some ridiculous story about finding uranium on his shoes.
15: Oh, that isn't completely ridiculous, Miss Brooks. As a matter of fact, it was more or less confirmed in the chem lab by the reaction of the Geiger counter.
11: You mean that Walter did actually step into uranium?
15: Oh, not necessarily. It could be some similar radioactive substance. You realize, of course, that the Geiger counter is an extremely sensitive instrument. It'll even pick up emanations from your radium-dial wristwatch.
11: All the way from Fisher's Pawn Shop? (laughs) (laughs)
15: It's a wonderful invention. And while Walter's shoe may not necessarily indicate the presence of any large field nearby, it's still a rather provocative incident.
11: I'll say it is. Half of $10,000 is very provocative. If one were to discover some uranium, one would never miss the money it cost for a summer vacation, would one? (laughs) Well,
15: I should think not.
11: I'm going to South America myself.
15: South America? That's funny. I'm going to spend my vacation down there.
13: You, too?
11: (laughs) What a coincidence. When are you leaving?
15: The day school ends, June 23rd. You, too? (laughs) What boat are
11: you taking?
15: The SS Brazil.
11: You, (laughs) too? What cabin will you be... Oh, no, I... I... I just meant that if we're going to be in Brazil at the same time, it ought to make it very pleasant for both of us. They say the nights down there are very conducive to romance.
15: Yes, I've heard something to that effect.
11: In fact, on most June nights in Brazil, the stars seem to be so low in the sky that you can reach out and touch each other.
15: Please, Miss Brooks, I... (laughs) I I don't like to change the subject,
11: but... Not much, you don't. (laughs) That's all right, Mr. Boynton. Brazil can wait. What is it you wanted to say?
15: Well, uh, I'd like to show you just how the Geiger counter reacts... Mr. Keller has a tiny sample of uranium in the chem lab. It's usually under lock and key, though, and...
13: Oh, hi, Miss Brooks. Mr. Boynton.
2: Oh, hello, Walter. I just
13: dropped by to take another look at the Geiger counter. Uh, Did you tell Mr. Boynton about the swell black orchid I gave you, Miss Brooks? I was just
11: about to. Walter gave me a fine black orchid this morning, Mr. Boynton. Hmm? A
15: black orchid? Say, they're mighty rare. Must have been cultivated for about seven years. Most likely in a hothouse.
11: This one is hotter than that. (laughs) Walter, I don't usually give away presents, but I think you ought to know that in trying to get on Mr. Conklin's good side, I gave him the black orchid.
13: You gave Mr. Conklin... the. I better get a glass of milk. I don't feel so good. (laughs) Just a minute, young man. Why did you steal that flower from Mr. Conklin's garden? Well, it wasn't really stealing. I was only getting even. Every time Mr. Conklin passes our house, he strolls through the gate and gloms a rose for himself.
11: Well, rose-glomming isn't orchid-glomming.
13: Besides, why did you have to make me
11: the fence? The fence? Receiver of stolen goods. I've been reading a lot of Chaucer lately.
13: I'm sorry about the whole thing, Miss Brooks, but tell me, What did Mr. Conklin say when he saw his own orchid? Luckily for both of us, he hasn't opened the box yet.
15: Well, then maybe if someone could get into his office...
13: You, too? (laughs) That's just what I was thinking. You, too? (laughs) I just saw Harriet in the hall. Of course, she doesn't know about what I did, but she told me your dad went shopping. Then maybe we can remove the plant before he comes back. Exactly. And I've got a scheme that'll make it impossible for old Marblehead... Uh, Mr. Conklin, to incriminate any of us. Are you with me?
11: What's the layout, (laughs) Louie?
13: Well, I snip the orchid off at the bottom. It's still got a long stem, see? Now, as soon as it gets dark, we can sneak back into his garden, stick the stem in the ground, and when he sees it tomorrow, he'll think something was wrong with his eyes this morning. And then when he snips it off, he won't know it has no roots.
11: Walter, you're a genius. But Mr.
15: Conklin's bound to find out it has no roots when another orchid fails to grow.
11: Maybe so, but in seven years, we can cook up a dilly of an alibi.
15: <laughs> uh, I'll keep a watch here at the door, Miss Brooks.
11: All right, Mr. Boynton. Now hurry, Walter. We've got to get that box off Mr. Conklin's desk
13: before he gets back. Okay, Miss Brooks. There, I've got it. He's coming down the
15: hall.
11: we better get out of here.
15: It, it's too late. He'll see us Quick. Get rid of the box.
13: What box?
11: The one you're holding, Walter.
13: Oh, here, you hold this, Mr. Boynton. All
15: right. Uh, yeah, I don't want this. Here, okay, Miss Brooks, here's a nice orchid for you.
13: For me? How sweet of you, Miss What am I saying? Here, you take this, Walter. I'm allergic. Keep it. <laughs>
14: quick, quick, Miss Brooks. Toss it out the window.
13: The
11: window? Where is it? Oh, right here. Open, thank goodness. There you go.
14: Hello, what's everybody doing in my... Miss Brooks, may I inquire what it was you just threw out of my window? Who, me? That is your name, isn't it, Brooks? Or do you shot put under a nom de plume?
11: Well, I do remember tossing something out, but it, it was just a little bug. A
14: bug?
13: Yes, sir. That's just what it was, Mr. Conklin. A bug. We all saw it, didn't we, Mr. Boynton? Oh,
15: yes, yes, it was a bug, Mr. Conklin. In my office, what sort of a bug was it?
14: A beetle.
13: A ball A louse. <laughs>
11: The three of them were building a nest.
14: A nest?
11: Well, a hutch or whatever it is they live in.
15: Well, we will live in cotton
11: bowls. You must get awfully tired of watching football games, don't you? I tired of watching football games. <laughs> I have
14: never heard anything. What's going on here? What are you three doing in my
11: office? Well, sir, we just came in to wish your wife a happy birthday.
13: You came in to wish my wife a happy birthday? Yes, sir. Happy birthday to her! Happy
7: birthday Oh, to- quiet! <laughs> Mr. Conklin,
13: I might as well
11: tell the truth. I wanted to give Mrs. Conklin her present myself. That's why we entered your office, but... Then when I heard you coming, I became nervous and tossed it out the window. Oh,
14: well, that's easily remedied. We'll just rake out and pick it up. Now, but if there's nothing in it but underwear, Please, I... Please,
11: not in front of Mr. Boynton.
7: <laughs>
11: you see, that was a little fib, too, Mr. Conklin. It, it isn't underwear. It's something for the house. You see, I wanted you to be surprised, too. That's right. That's what Miss Brooks told us.
15: Yes, sir. She wants you to be surprised, too.
14: Oh, Oh, well, that's different. Something for the house, eh? Mrs. Conklin's been talking about new curtains for the dinette.
11: Could this be curtains? It could be for us. (laughs) Um, uh, Please, Mr. Conklin, if you'll just hand it over, I'll be eternally in your debt.
14: You are now. (laughs) But if it pleases you to surprise us, then take it. But whatever you do, don't come over too early. I'm not going to give Mrs. Conklin my gift until after dinner.
11: Oh, that's perfect. You'll be good and busy inside. That is, goodbye now.
5: The cafeteria's about to close, Daddy. Aren't you going to have lunch?
14: I had to buy it downtown, Harriet, when I bought your mother her birthday present.
5: Oh, what did you get her, Daddy?
14: A radium dial table model clock so she can see what time of night it is without waking me. I took it home before I returned to school. Fifteen dollars I paid for that clock. You'd better like it.
5: I hope you hid it someplace where she won't find it in advance. You know how inquisitive Mother is about her presents.
14: I'm well aware of your mother's little idiosyncrasy, Harriet. I hid it all right. I buried it in the little sunken toolbox out in our garden. This is one present nobody could find without a Geiger counter. <laughs>
11: Get off that driveway, Walter. Here's the gate to the backyard.
15: Now, show us about where you got the orchid, Walter, and I'll dig a little hole for it and put it back.
13: All right, you are, Mr. Boynton. It's over this way. Bring the box. What's that box you're carrying, Walter? This? Oh, this is the Geiger counter. I figured if we get away with this flower deal, we can get away with borrowing the counter for one evening.
11: Oh, great. Now I'm the co-owner of a hot Geiger counter.
13: I wonder how Tehachapi is in the summertime. Oh, don't worry, Miss Brooks. We'll be through with this job in a jiffy. And then we can do a little prospecting. Oh, stop right here, Mr. Boynton. I think this is pretty close to where I got the flower.
1: All right, Walter.
11: Please, Mr. Boynton. There's nothing to get so excited about.
15: (laughs) That wasn't me.
11: No? It's a
13: Geiger counter. This is where I must have stepped. Miss Brooks, we're rich. South America, take me away. (laughs) Mr. Morton, dig some more. I'll put the counter over here now, so I'll keep quiet. We don't want to disturb
15: anybody. Uh, Wait a minute. I've uncovered some sort of a toolbox. What's this package in it?
13: Listen, it's ticking. (laughs) Ticking? It must be a time bomb.
15: A time bomb? But who would want to blow up Mr. Conklin?
13: Who wouldn't?
11: (laughs) I mean, if there's uranium around here, this bomb
13: could have been planted by someone who didn't want any of us to get it. That's right. Or it could have been placed by some crackpot who wants to see our civilization survive. (laughs) (laughs)
7: Listen.
15: It's ticking louder.
11: Quick, give it to me. Here's a full watering can.
13: This should stop it. There. It stopped. You've done it, Miss Brooks.
14: Oh, you certainly have, Miss Brooks. I don't know what it is she's done, but I'll bet I'm against it.
7: <laughs> Mr. Conklin,
13: oh, this is one time you won't be mad at us. Miss Brooks just stopped the ticking.
14: Well, she certainly did, sir. She threw the whole
15: box right into the watering can. You see, it isn't making a sound.
14: Indeed, it isn't. <laughs> but then... After they're submerged in water for a while, very few $15 table model clocks are capable of
7: making any sound! $15 table
13: clock?
14: (laughs) Yes, Miss Brooks. Contained in this soggy, gift-wrapped box is my wife's birthday present. Well, is there any message you'd like
11: to convey? All together, gang. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to
13: you. Happy birthday, Mrs.
7: Conway.
10: And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks.
11: Well, when we showed Mr. Conklin that his black orchid was still intact and I promised to reimburse him for the ruined clock, he calmed down a bit and his complexion returned to its normal color, purple.
7: <laughs>
11: After he had dismissed us, I slunk back to my room and fell into a nice peaceful stupor, Slumber.
13: <laughs> However, I
11: awoke in the morning with a very disquieting thought. The fact remained that somewhere, somehow, Walter Denton had stepped in uranium. Mr. Keller, the chemistry teacher, had verified that. So when Walter arrived to pick me up, I hastened to reaffirm our partnership. We are still partners, aren't we, Walter? Oh, you bet, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin
13: didn't see the Geiger counter at all.
11: Good. Now, today, let's get a hold of a sample of uranium
13: so we'll know what we're looking for. Hmm? First, you'll have to give me $5, Miss Brooks. $5? We're partners, aren't we? You put in 5 and I'll put in $5. mister Keller just called to tell me that's what a sample costs. Why should we have to buy it? Couldn't we borrow it? Look, Miss Brooks, remember I told you how I got up on the table in school to fix the light bulb?
11: Yes, but what has that got to do with the uranium sample in the chem lab?
13: That's the uranium I stepped in. What? Sure. That's why we got to put in $5 each to buy the school a new sample.
11: Now I've got to go to South America, if only to send you a tsetse fly. (laughs) week,
10: turn
3: into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Luster Cream Bamboo for soft,
10: glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis, Lester White, and Joe Quillen, with the music of Wilbur Hatch under the direction of Maurice Carlton. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, and Gloria McMillan. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs Listen to Mr. and Mrs. North The exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations And be with us again next week at the same time For another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks Bob Lamont speaking This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System
1: Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Six Shooter, followed by The Bob Hope Show. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.